I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to episode 9 in the fourth edition of the AIC Bible study video series, The New Testament Gospels. In episode 9, I continue the discussion of St. Mark's theme of the miracles of Jesus with the next six of 18 such events. The first three are demonstrations of divine power over nature. The second three are demonstrations of divine power over speech and sight. At the end of the episode, I will point out where material presented in this episode is discussed in the new AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of Mark, Annotated and Illustrated. The first three demonstrations of Jesus' divine power over nature are the calming of the seas, walking on water, and the withered fig tree. The illustration is a late 19th century Ottonian-style three-part ivory plaque, Christ in Majesty, with their traditional symbols in the four corners from the collection of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, New York City, New York. The first event, recorded in Mark 4, verses 35 to 41, is set on the Sea of Galilee in the evening of the day Jesus delivered the parable of the mustard seed. The event is also reported in Matthew 8, 23 to 27, and Luke 8, 22 to 25. Jesus sat sleeping in the stern of the largest boat in the little fleet that carried the disciples across the sea when a great windstorm blew up, rocking the boat. The Sea of Galilee was prone to such sudden violent windstorms sweeping down the waters from the Golan Heights on the northeast shore. The disciples, fearing the boat would sink, awoke Jesus, saying in verse 38, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus awakened, and in St. Mark's words, quote, rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still, in verse 39. Then he rebuked the disciples, in verse 40. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? St. Mark reports the disciples' thoughts in verse 41. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Reaffirming St. John's observation that it was only after Jesus' resurrection that even the disciples fully believed. The illustration is an illumination in temper and guilt on vellum from the Gospel of Otto III, made at the monastery of Reichenau, Reichenau, Germany, under, this, under the supervision of the monk Luthar from the collection of the Bavarian State Library, Munich, Germany. Before I move on to the next example of divine power over nature, I want to discuss a translation issue in verse 39. The phrase, peace, be still, Greek language scholars note that peace comes from the Greek word phimue, literally be silent, 
or simply silence. This is the same word Jesus spoke to the unclean spirit at Capernaum in Mark 1.25 and discussed in episode 8. My point here is that peace be still is not quite the same thing as peace. The literal translation of verse 39 is be quiet, be still. All is well as long as the modern reader does not interpret peace in verse 39 as having the same meaning as peace in John 20, verses 21 and 26, in which Jesus declares a blessing, peace to you. Nor is it the same as peace in John 16, verse 33, in me you may have peace, which means the opposite of tribulation. The illustration is a 6th century mosaic of Christ Pantocrator at the Hagia Sophia, built in Constantinople, now Istanbul, by the Emperor Justinian. He is holding a gospel book in his left hand and arm and is making the sign of blessing with his right. The second example of Jesus' demonstration of divine power over nature recounted in Mark 6, verses 45 to 52, of Jesus walking on the sea, also happened on the Sea of Galilee, this time on the day after Jesus had fed the 5,000. The incident is also discussed in Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33, and John 6, 15 to 21. Jesus had sent the disciples across the Sea of Galilee toward the city of Bethsaida, on the northeast coast while he went up to a mountain to pray. When Jesus returned to the shore in the evening, he saw the disciples in distress during a windstorm in the middle of the sea. St. Mark says it was not until the fourth watch, which means it was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., when they were, quote, straining at rowing, that he went out to them. And here is St. Mark's account, beginning with verse 48. Now about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. The illustration is a late 19th century oil on canvas by Russian artist Ivan Alvazovsky from a private collection in Russia. The artist captures the ghost imagery of verse 49b. There are four important key words or phrases in this account that are often overlooked, misunderstood, or incompletely or incorrectly translated. The first of these is hardened hearts in verse 52, which signifies that one's heart here meaning the essence of one's spiritual existence or being, and not just the organ that pumps blood, is not open to God. 
The concept was discussed earlier in this series in episode 4 when Jesus criticizes the Pharisees with a citation from the prophet Isaiah and in the discussion of the fourth example of Jesus' divine power over sickness in the account of the healing of the man with a withered hand at Capernaum in episode 8. Hardening of the heart, as opposed to the medical term hardening of the arteries, is not a physical but a spiritual condition. It occurs when one's mind is closed to the power of the divine, or in the case of the Pharisees, when observance of ritual becomes more important than the true meaning of worship. In Christian baptism, the new Christian invites the Holy Spirit into the heart. This cannot happen if one's heart is hardened. The next often misunderstood or mistranslated word or phrase is marveled in verse 52. Marveled is derived from the Greek thaumadzu, literally meaning to wonder at or to admire, and is a New Testament phrase which is used more than 30 times, mostly in the Gospel accounts. In the spiritual discipline of Christian spirituality, this means that one should always be in awe of the Lord and of his power. This understanding is similar to the meaning of the Old Testament phrase, fear of the Lord. In this immediate case, the disciples were indeed awed by the demonstrated power of Jesus over nature because their hearts were no longer hardened. In the Greek New Testament, the phrase, it is I, in verse 50, comes from the Greek ego imi, which really should be translated as I am, as it is in as it is in St. John's Gospel in the I Am sayings of Christ, examples being I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, I am the truth, I am the, the life, etc. It does not mean the literal it is I, but instead it is an assertion by Jesus that he is the same I am who revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3, 14. To say I am is an assertion that he exists outside the human concept of time. At his discourse at Capernaum, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am, meaning in dynamic modern equivalence, before Abraham existed, I existed. The last phrase is, do not be afraid, also in verse 50, which should be taken to refer to the concept of God's peace, which he offers to all believers in Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God. When Jesus spoke to the winds in the account of the calming of the sea in 635-41, to he says to the wind, peace. This is a translation issue. One of the Greek words with this meaning is siopao, which literally means silence. As I explained earlier, in the context of the calming of the seas, it does not have the same meaning as peace and not, should not be confused with the theological peace as in the peace of God, as in peace be with you. Do not be afraid means one should have confidence 
that God will provide all essential things, which is similar to the meaning of the phrase concerning daily bread in the Lord's Prayer, that is, all things which are truly essential. The illustration for this and the two previous slides is an opaque watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper by James Tissot, painted in the late 19th century from the Life of Christ series of drawings at the Brooklyn Museum. Our third and final example of Jesus' demonstration of divine power over nature, recorded in Mark 11, verses 12 to 14, and then 20 to 24, and also in Matthew 21, verses 20 to 22, happens near the village of Bethany on the day after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, or in the modern church calendar Monday in Holy Week. Jesus, hungry from his travel, saw a fig tree and hoped for fruit from it, but it had only leaves. He said to it in verse 14, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. The next day, Tuesday, when the disciples were going back to Jerusalem, they passed the same fig tree. St. Mark reports in verse 20, St. Peter's surprised declaration, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. The illustration is the central detail from James Tissot's watercolor, The Accursed Fig Tree, from his Life of Christ series, painted in the late 19th century in the collection of the Brooklyn Museum. Jesus' reply to St. Peter is the foundation for the prayer attributed to St. John Chrysostom, which is used at the end of Anglican morning prayer, and also for the traditional doctrine concerning forgiveness appropriate since St. Mark's Gospel does not include a text of the Lord's Prayer. While they were near the Mount of Olives, Jesus' reference to this mountain is spiritual, not literal. Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. This promise should never be interpreted in a literal sense to mean that anything you ask for in prayer will be answered. One should always understand that asking for anything does not all, that does not also serve God's purposes is not appropriate in prayer, and further that prayers can sometimes be answered but not in the way we expect. Note also that the first century concept of standing to pray, referred to in verse 25, follows the old Hebrew tradition mentioned earlier and has been replaced by the modern tradition of kneeling.
The next set of three miracles are demonstrations of Jesus' divine power over speech and sight, the healing of a deaf mute, a blind man, and blind Bartimaeus. The first two incidents are unique to the Gospel of St. Mark. The illustration is again the late 10th, early 11th century Atonian-style plaque of Christ in majesty surrounded by symbols of the four evangelists from the collection of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. The first example of divine power over speech and sight is from Mark 7, 31-39. Jesus and the disciples were on the east side of the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, or Ten Cities, when a man who was blind and deaf was brought before Jesus. The method of healing is highly unusual and only rivaled by the account in the next incident, the healing of the blind man. St. Mark writes in verses 33 and 34, He took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. The phrase is an Aramaic one, the common language of the Holy Land at the time of Christ, even among Jews, and is still spoken today among a small population of Christians in Iraq. Looking up to heaven describes the proper prayer posture for a Jew. The result, according to St. Mark, was immediate. His ears were open, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Mark wrote in verse 35. Once again, Jesus commanded that none should speak of this event, but as had happened before, the word spread quickly with predictable results. As St. Mark observed in verse 37, they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The phrase, He has done all things well, is the source of the popular praise prayer, He doeth all things well. The second of three examples of divine power over speech and sight is the healing of the blind man, recounted in Mark 8, verses 22 to 26, also unique to the Gospel of St. Mark, and also demonstrating an unusual detail of the healing. The event happened at Bethsaida, on the northeast coast of the Sea of Galilee, during the same tour of the region in which the healing of the deaf and mute man, the feeding of the 4,000, and Jesus' sermon to the disciples on hardened hearts took place. A blind man was brought to him, and Jesus took the man by the hand and led him outside the town, in other words, to a private place where the disciples were not present. St. Mark describes the event in verses 23 to 26. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him whether he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on the man's eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. St. Mark provides no account of whether the man obeyed Jesus' instruction in verse 26 
neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. The illustration is a late 19th century stained glass window, location unspecified, of Jesus touching the man's eyes. The third and final example in Mark 10 verses 46 to 52 of Jesus' divine power over speech and sight includes an especially vivid description of the manner of healing. In the days just before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the traveling party was near Jericho, where the Hebrew people first entered the promised land of Canaan under Joshua, when they encountered the blind beggar Bartimaeus, uniquely also called some son of Timaeus, which is the literal meaning of the name Bartimaeus. When he is told that Jesus of Nazareth was present, he cried out in verse 47, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David is an acknowledgment of Jesus as Messiah or the Christ, which is reinforced by the prayer, Have mercy on me, a prayer offered only to God. Bartimaeus cried out Jesus' divine name a second time, and the disciples tried to quiet him, but at Jesus' command, the disciples brought Bartimaeus close, and after Bartimaeus threw off his coat, Jesus said, And what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus replied, granting Jesus another title, an affectionate Aramaic word for teacher or master, Rabboni, saying, Rabboni that I may receive my sight, in verse 51b. Where in the case of the paralytic man at Capernaum in Mark 2, 1-12, discussed in episode 8, it was the faith of the man's friends that was cited. Here it was Bartimaeus' own faith. Jesus cited in more, a more personal reason, saying in verse 52a, Go your way, your faith has made you well. As was Mark's style, he writes that the man was healed immediately, also reporting that he followed Jesus on the road, in this case toward the climactic and final closing events in Jesus' earthly life. The episode is related to the earlier discussion of having ears to hear and eyes to see in episode 4 in the discussion of Matthew 13, verses 10 to 17, in which the prophet Isaiah was quoted by Jesus. The illustration is a detail from a miniature illumination in temper and gold on vellum from a copy of the Codex Aureus of Echternach, made between 1030 and 1050 AD at the Abbey of Echternach, Luxembourg, formerly in Germany, from the collection of the National Museum at Nuremberg, Germany. Other AIC resources for topics in this episode are The Twelve Days of Christmas, one episode each for the Twelve Days from Christmas Day until Epiphany Eve, Episode 1, the first day of Christmas, December 25th, is focused on the key word, peace. In the Lives of the Saints, another Christian education video series in multiple episodes, from the first series, St. John is the focus of episode 4, St. Mark of episode 7, St. Peter of episode 11, 
and St. Matthew of episode 14. In other episodes of interest in the same New Testament Gospels series, episode 29 through episode 35 are all focused on Jesus' I Am declarations in the Gospel of St. John. In our podcast homilies series, the podcast homily for 12th Sunday after Trinity is focused on Mark 731 31-37, the healing of the deaf-mute, as well as the epistle reading from 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4-9. to From the AIC Bookstore publication, The Gospel of Mark, Annotated and Illustrated, Two Demonstrations of Divine Power Over Nature, are discussed in chapters 4 and 11, and three demonstrations of divine power over speech and sight are discussed in chapters 7, 8, and 10, including the healing of the blind man of Jericho, illustrated in the Gospels of Otto III, made around 998 A.D. from the collection of the Bayerische Staatsbibliothek, Munich, Germany. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, beginning with Layman's Lexicon, words and phrases of interest are the entries for faith, heart, miracles, pantocrator, peace, and tribulation. From Christian Spirituality and Anglican Perspective, Archbishop Cramer's focus on the importance of heart and its use in the response to the Decalogue is discussed on pages 8 through 14. In the Writing Prophets of the Old Testament, themes and quotations from the prophet Isaiah are discussed and illustrated on pages 13 to 20 with a text box, Isaiah in Christian Liturgy, on page 16. Finally, there is Father Ron's blog, a page on our website, featuring information on the latest projects, videos, and publications. Entries usually include an illustration from the featured series. You can reach the blog page by clicking the links at either the top or the bottom of the page, or by entering the direct URL address in your browser, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net, right slash blog with everything in lowercase letters. <clears throat> By clicking on the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend in the right-hand column and afterward entering your email address, you can receive notice of each new posting from our site host, wordpress.com. Please be assured that we do not share information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for Episode 9 of the New Testament Gospels. Next time, in Episode 10, I will continue the discussion of the text of St. Mark's Gospel with the remaining three of 18 accounts of Jesus' miracles or signs. In this case, an example of divine power over death and two accounts of feeding the multitudes plus the dialogue between Jesus and the disciples just before Mark 10, verse 45, often called the turning point verse. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you 
and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.